you know, I don't know if if you deal with this yourself, but I think probably all of us are asking ourselves a particular question. What is the purpose and meaning of life? And today in this podcast, I'd like to go through that and draw some connections that the Lord had revealed to me. Probably as long as humans have been on the earth, they've been asking a question, who are we and why are we here? And what is life all about? And what is the purpose of my existence? What is the meaning of my life? And what are we living for? These questions have been a result of a wide range of answers and arguments. They've um, they've come out of scientific theory, uh, in the philosophical, the theological, spiritual explanation. Like anthropologically, we've looked at it. You know, philologically, we've looked at it. Uh, we've looked at it through ecology, and there's a lot of ologies, uh, sociologically. I mean, we've, we've been trying to find this answer. And so we've looked, especially in the 20th century, through ideological perspective. Uh, you know, Karl Marx was looking at it through his premise on communism. And we've looked at it from, uh, people have looked at it from a fascist perspective. I mean, there's been so many perspectives trying to come at us to try to say, what is the meaning of life? What am I here? What is this all about? And discovering who you are and and what life is about and how you play a significant role in life uh, and your own personal responsibilities and sense of your significance and worthwhileness is very deeply ingrained inside of all of us as human beings. We want to know what is my significance? And also, we want to have a satisfaction of realizing that we have responsibility. And is our responsibility and what are our responsibilities related to life? And from uh, perspectives related to Judaism, uh, Islam, uh, Christianity, uh, people are looking for these answers all over the world right now. And so, Our culture today is trying to really find what is the ultimate meaning of life. You know, one of the interesting things about these podcasts, they kind of, what they're meant to do is to shake you up a bit, to get you to start actually considering what's going on in your life, to think a little bit more than that my life is supposed to be just, I get up in the morning, I go to work, I spend all day at work. I get home, I help my family, I work with my family situations, and but I'm never sitting around ever thinking and contemplating why am I doing the things that I'm doing, what is motivating me, who am I? And uh, I hope that you can start to turn and ask some of these uh, questions, questions of which I have certainly been uh, asking myself. And so what legacy are you going to leave? And are you going to stand for something and make a difference? Are you, are you going to become the person you always wanted to be? Are you going to become the best version of yourself? Are you going to just seek uh, pleasure and happiness? Are, are you going to be an authentic human being? Are you going to fulfill your destiny? Are you going to become who you were meant to become? Does that mean that, how are you going to become that? And when you were growing up as a kid, were you, you know, just thinking about this and considering it that life had more reason behind it than maybe 
what had been envisioned, maybe even in the American dream. Maybe you realized some of you, uh, maybe you grew up in influential families and you had, you know, everything taken care of. Some of you didn't. And maybe you thought that that was where you needed to go was, man, I got to go get the nice home. I got to get the nice cars. I, I got to get security in a stable environment for me and my family. Um, maybe for you, it was ministry and your dreams were related to ministry and uh, that, that was supposed to be your center stage and where you could get into telling people your deepest understanding of things. Whether you were in a secular setting growing up or a very religious one, maybe you were born from heaven above or you were pagan, or maybe you were uh, coming from all these different perspectives, but deep down inside, I think that all of us were trying to yearn for, why do I exist? And I want to find deeper meaning, and I want to live for a destiny. Unfortunately, and I've watched this personally, not many people ever really discover who they are and what their purpose is in life. And there's many other people that start to begin to discover that, and yet there's so much coming against them familially, environmentally, culturally, socioeconomically, that is throwing them out of uh, believing who they're meant to be. And so many people are trying to satisfy this deep craving. And the way that they're satisfying it is through a humanistic, man-centered approach to put themselves at the center. And so their ultimate purpose ends up revolving around their own goodness, their own human compassion, their own human giftedness, their own human effort, and their own human glory. And I, I want to propose today as we launch into this podcast that there's another dynamic at play that we can engage with. And moving out of a self-glorian, self-man-centered approach, and that we must shift away from that into a what I would believe would be to place God at the center of our life and the heart of our Father. Now, before I launch out into this, I want to just like tell you a story of how this impacted me a number of years ago when I was looking at uh, Job 38. Now, just to give just a little bit of context for this, um, and many of you know the story of Job, and I hope that you know bringing up Job doesn't scare you. But if you're going to get serious about human existence on a philosophical, theological, uh, anthropological level, and really look at it, you, you've got to go to Job because Job is going to experience this dramatic encounter with the Father. First of all, when you get into Job 1 and 2, it's this story about Lucifer coming up before the Father, um, who was known as the Satan or the accuser. And God, the Father, speaks to him, and he says, Have you considered my servant Job? And, and Lucifer basically says to the Father that Job serves you basically because you give him direction, protection, and provision in both provision in both his health and his wealth. And he, the only reason why he serves you is because you give him those things. And if you were to remove the protection off of Job and his provision, both in his health and his wealth, 
and you were to remove your own sense of direction in his life from him, and you were to strip him bare, he literally would turn against you and snub his nose in your face and just curse you. And and so the presupposition of Job's trial is Lucifer as an accuser saying, Job serves you for no reason other than you give him the three things that he needs, direction, protection, and provision, both in the health and wealth uh, area. And if you take that away from him, watch what he'll do. So after you get out of Job 1 and 2, you start to go through this whole dialogue. These three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, are sit with him for seven days without saying a word, which is just profound. And that is to say that they have sage-like wisdom qualities that they're going to start to extract onto Job to show him that it's called retributive justice. They have a function of retributive justice that means that you're receiving retribution and justice for your for what you have done wrong, and that's why you are suffering. And Job will uh, speak against that over and over and over again, basically saying, I am not suffering because of what I did wrong. I am suffering. Maybe I do not know why, but it looks like I'm suffering because uh, not for that reason, but for a different reason. This is a profound understanding of retributive justice and suffering in our life. Because, And I think many of us, and you probably have asked this questions, uh, why, why am I going through a hard place? If God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. And you really find those answers out. The one thing that we find out uh, before the fourth person, which is Elihu, is going to speak, and you're going to, to dis- discover is that the Lord is not punishing Job for his sins and iniquities. He is curing him. Because God's primary role in our relationship, especially as believers, is curative. It is not punitive. And so the Lord is sanctifying Job through the trials that he's going through. And so Job's suffering is not related to his actively disobeying the Lord or not loving his wife and children or not being a godly man as an elder before the people in his community and not living a life of prayer. The Lord is going deeper into Job to cure him of iniquitous patterns that are laid within his person. And so the retributive justice mentality that his three friends are operating on breaks down. And so Elihu rises up and speak when Job says he's a righteous man. And the Lord gets to what he's wanting to get at it, Job, that really there's no one righteous but the Lord. And, and Job's going to say, I'm a, right, I'm a man who is righteous. And so Elihu basically comes at Job and lays out this beautiful demonstration of the righteousness of God, which he's transferred from a man-centered approach through these three friends into a God-centered ideology in the middle of Job's suffering. So now with that being said, I built a very simplistic uh, concept because you really need to dig into this yourself to grow as you grow in grace with the Lord. But after Elihu speaks, God himself is going to pick up and speak. And that's where we get into this area of Job 38 and where I'm wanting to launch into a God-centered approach in discovering the meaning and purpose of your life. So I, years ago, I, I got into Job 38, and and Job is going to be run through basically a council meeting. 
And the word's going to run him through two iterations of questioning. It's, it's kind of like Joe's been placed on a in a court session. He's being put up before the Father, and the Father uh, is going to ask the questions now. And he says in Job 38, Then the word answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will demand of you, and you will declare to me. So the Lord's basically saying, I'm going to ask the questions, and you're going to answer them. Now, God's going to ask Job questions that he cannot answer. And and what's going to happen here, and this is so beautiful about God, our Father is, he's going to bring Job into such an, an impartation of revelation of who he is as Father that he, it's going to close Job's mouth because Job can't answer these questions, but I love this about our Father is the revelation aspect that is going to be in, poured out on Job from the curative process that he's been in to is to give him a deeper understanding of the one who loves him and desires him and wants to embrace him. You know, some people could say, that sounds like really mean to say that to someone who's been suffering for actually not literally doing anything wrong. But this is the humility upon which revelation comes. And the Lord has basically extracted out Job's own self-righteousness at a deeper level, yes, curing him so that he can bring revelation to him, profound revelation of who he is. Otherwise, Job would be lifted up into pride if he was to actually understand the things the Father is going to transmit into his person. So he says, hey, gird up your loins, be a man. I'm going to ask some questions, and you're going to give the answers. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare to me if you have now and have some understanding. Now, this is God, the Father, is getting into existence and pre-existence. And so he's transmitting a sense of Job's own stability that's been related to his own worldly uh, understanding. Now the word is getting outside of what we would call ontology or an ontological gap that there is an uncreated God who's existed outside of time and space who now has intervened into creation and breathed the world into existence. That there's a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit that stands outside of our own existence who pre-existed before there was ever anything that was created. If you want to get into some instability, that understanding will destabilize your person. And the Father is imparting this understanding into him because he's saying, teaching him by revelation, the uncreated God. Now, so he says, hey, declare to me if you have anything to say about this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Then who determined the measures of the earth? If you know, or who stretched the measuring line upon it? Upon what were the foundations of it fastened, and who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, the word's going to take him through one iteration of this, and then another one. And by the time the father gets done with his describing the his creation, both on a the animal kingdom, uh, and then he'll get into the stars. And he, so he's going to describe the heavens and the earth to him. He's going to receive prophetic revelation. 
Job's going to get into we're going to hear him say in 42, I believe it's verse 6, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And so the Lord restores him double everything that's been lost. Now, my interest with you today is this this question of existence. And and I believe it's the Father's interest of me to do this podcast, to get into this. What is my meaning? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And so, first of all, I want to tell this little story. So I'm like reading Job 38 a number of years ago, and I asked the Lord a question. I said, what's this verse about? The morning stars sang together and all the suns shouted for joy. Could you explain that to me? And um, the next day, I get a phone call. It has been my custom and I, and I, I want you to hear this, Proverbs 25, too. You know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of a king to search it out. I hope that you hear me from this. Ask the Lord questions when you don't know the answer. More than likely, there's a billion questions that we should have that we don't really know the answers to anyways. So why not ask him? He's a good father. So I asked him. I was like, I don't know what Job 38, 7 means and what you're trying to speak to me. So next day, I get a phone call and... Um, a friend of mine, uh, Danilo Castillo, says, uh, "Hey, uh, Carol, would you like to meet? I'd like to meet you over in Arden at Barnes and Noble uh, this morning. Would that be okay?" Now, I'd been instructed by the Lord that any time someone called me and said, "Could I please have a meeting?" I was to go have that meeting, and and thank God not everybody was calling me uh, because uh, I don't know how I would have handled my, my life. But so Danilo and I, we get over there, we get some coffee, and we're looking at each other and. Uh, Danilo is a very unique person. He's uh, from South America, and I really think a lot of him and appreciated our friendship. And he looks at me, and he puts both of his hands over his mouth. Well, not over it, but on the side of his mouth like he's trying to protect his voice from being heard from other people. And he looks at me, and he says, Do you know what Job 38 six and seven means and I mean you got to understand I'd asked the Lord hadn't told anybody about this uh, the day before on the Saluda mountain what does this mean and the Lord's already sent his servant Danilo to explain it to me and he looks at me and uh, he looks out of the corner of his eyes like he's looking around like somebody might be listening to us like I'm in a secret meeting or something and he said people think I'm crazy but he said, I'm going to tell you what Job 38, 6 and 7 means. Did you know that we were in the bosom of the Father before time began? And he says, I like to call it Genesis 0. You should have seen my face. Because, I mean, I'm looking at him probably with my mouth gaped open, which my wife has told me many times, close your mouth, Carol. I guess because I'm sitting in awe a lot of times in my life. Like, what? You've got to be kidding me. How did he know? And I, I'm sure the father's sitting there looking at this whole thing and he's just loving it because he has a way of t- communicating with us so that we know again. And I've, I've attempted to do this on every one of these stories that I'm laying out, the black hole X and then the, the 1 through 33 stories that I'm giving to you. I've attempted to give that these stories would be objectively proven, meaning that they have an outside source in relationship with the Father based in Scripture that is inter- intersecting with them so that you can come into some belief about how this is how the Father 
uh, works with us and communicates through us by the blood of Jesus and his relationship with us by the Holy Spirit. And so that meeting happened, and I was just sort of profoundly affected, thinking, huh, we were with the Father before time began. We were outside of time. We existed outside of time. And that this was a necessary understanding for to come into to gain a God-centered perspective because our perspective is based on so many different aspects, and we needed to know this perspective. I also, to just seek this perspective into to you, I, I want to just show you something in John 13 with the Lord. It says, Now before the Passover feast began, Jesus knew and was fully aware that his time had come to leave this world and return to the Father. And as he loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. So it was during the supper that Satan, having already put the thought of betraying Jesus in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that Jesus, knowing he was fully aware that the Father had put everything into his hands, now listen to me, that he had come from God and he was returning to God. He got up from the supper took off his garments, took a servant's towel, fastened it around his waist, and he ends up washing the disciples' feet. What happened, what is being said here in John 13 is he knew that he came from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. And the point here is, is that Jesus was predestined and had an election that was happening in his life. That, And in the context of this, Satan is putting the thought into Judas Iscariot's mind to come against come against the Lord. It, much like what I believe you could see in Job 38 in regards to how Satan had come against Job with an accusation. And so uh, you see that the way that we're going to be able to have to deal with our enemy in this end time is we're going to need to know profoundly that we came from the Father and that we're going back to the Father in the establishing of this kingdom here on the earth. We need to understand a God-centered approach to discovering the meaning to life. Not too long after this, a book was brought to me by DeVern Fromke called The Ultimate Intention. I highly suggest that you get this this work and, and dig into it. In his work, uh, Fromke said that it is imperative that we recognize what is the deepest gnawing within the human breast. Adequate answers to the purpose and meaning of life must be found. We must recognize that man can only be a saint or a sinner by choice, but he is first an inquiring philosopher by nature. C.A. Jones said, There is no attribute of man's personality more evident and universally recognized among men than this sense of purpose and divine destiny. The inherent drive and purpose and meaning was placed inside of us by the Lord himself. And until we discover why he created us and what our purpose is, we will live a life adrift, aimlessly trying to achieve meaning, significance, and destiny and our own wisdom, strength, and resources. Frompty went on to say that it is imperative that we direct every believer to develop a truly God-centered philosophy of life. That means we must see all things 
properly related to God and his ultimate intention. Alas, not only the worldling, but even the believer attempts to interpret all things as they primarily relate to himself. We must discover why God created the earth, why we were created, what the earth is for, why you have a beating heart in your chest, and why we are on a quest to uncover why we were created. Fromke put it this way, the purpose for which man lives is the mainspring. This must be right or all else will surely go wrong. Nothing less than a philosophical rectification which a just man in his motive, purpose, and vision will produce a proper relatedness and power to fulfill um, our divine intention that comes from the Father. If we're going to successfully discover the meaning of life, we must have a starting point. We must begin with God himself. A truly God-centered philosophy of life, when we see what God sees from a heavenly perspective, is the only way we can discover our purpose, meaning, significance, and destiny. In seeking this perspective from heaven, many still make a grave mistake by not having the proper starting point. And so there are starting points that many people have looked at. And now I want to go through this starting point that Fromke lays out in his book. One, in the end of the age. If we to try to discover God's ultimate intention by reading the book of Revelation, we might assume that God created the world in order to display his power. We might reason that God wanted to showcase his strength and might by releasing judgments on the wicked, casting Satan into eternal judgment, establishing his kingdom on earth. Though these events will take place and we should diligently study the prophetic scriptures, God's ultimate intention for creating the world was not to display his majestic power by fulfilling an end-time prophecy. Unfortunately, there are many prophecy scholars who have become so engrossed in understanding the end times, even who the Antichrist is and where he'll come from when the Lord will return and when the rapture will take place, they've overlooked God's ultimate intention. If the end of the age is our starting point, we'll make the mistake that the fulfillment of end time prophecy was God's ultimate purpose. Now, I just want to draw you back to Hebrews 6. Go listen to The Final Frontier because... One of the aspects in Hebrews 6, and I hope that this will help you here when I'm reading from you, because I want you to see this in, in the Word. But he's talking about that we need to go on to maturity. And, and one of the things he says is, listen to this, we need to go on not laying again the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead formalism, which it's good to move on from that, and a faith that is turned to God. We need to go on from purification primarily and the laying on of hands. If you'll notice what he's saying here, these are all related to human aspects. And we must go on beyond the human aspect of what we're getting out of the deal. My repentance, my dead works, my dead formalism, my faith that's towards God, my teachings about sanctification and and, uh, impartation, the laying on of hands, even my own resurrection from the dead and even get this, he says we must go on beyond eschatology, eternal punishment, and judgment. And this is what Fromke's saying, that we must go on beyond that. And he says, if God permits. So there's a permission here in Hebrews 6, if God permits, to go on to advanced teaching. That's the teaching upon which is involved in tasting the good word of God and in the age to come, the dimension of the realm, the immaterial realm. So 
we got to go beyond that in our intentionality because all of those are still related. And thank you, Jesus, for what he's done for us, both our salvation and our sanctification and glorification. But to get a proper understanding, we must go outside of that into what was the Father's intention before time. And so he goes on to say, if we try to discover God's ultimate intention by looking at the church today, we might assume that it's to present the gospel message to the culture in a relevant way. We might even think that events, conferences, church services, large crowds come to hear the gospel communicated in a palatable way is what fills the world with deepest joy. Build attractional services, get professional musicians, study state-of-the-art videos and media, get skilled communicators in the buildings, look for a club or movie theater, build a traditional church. That's what the Lord's after. Obviously, we should present the gospel in a relevant way, win the loss. But God's ultimate intention transcends our trendy church services and communication styles. If today is our starting point, then we will make the mistake that cultural relevance is God's ultimate purpose. What about the first and second great awakening? The Holy Spirit introduced anointed leaders such as Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Finney to turn the nation back to God. We might assume that revival is God's ultimate intention. Today, the focus of entire movements is to fill stadiums with intercessors, worships who are praying and fasting for a third great awakening. Obviously, we are in need in America of a third great awakening. And I just want you to know I'm a big proponent of let's bring the great awakening but let me just say that that even prayer and revival and shifting our nation towards that is not necessarily God's ultimate intention. So if the first and second great awakening are our starting point, then we'll make a mistake that revival is God's ultimate purpose. What about the book of Acts? We read through the book of Acts and it's awe-inspiring, breathtaking. We see what happened when the Holy Spirit poured out his power. The sick miraculous were healed. The lame leaped for joy. Thousands were born again, baptized, dreams, visions, trances, angelic visitations, translations from location to location, preaching that inspired true repentance, church growth, multiplication of disciples, a sense of awe and wonder as heaven invaded earth. There was never been such a mighty move of the Holy Spirit as we saw in the book of Acts. Nevertheless, outward demonstrations of power are not God's ultimate intention. Signs, wonders, miracles are not God's ultimate destiny for mankind. If the book of Acts is our starting point, we'll make the mistake that signs, wonders, and miracles are God's ultimate purpose. I don't know if you're hearing this, but it's like, Lord, what's your ultimate intention? Let's go on. The gospel, the ministry of Jesus, unlike anything we've ever seen. The dead are raised, the blind receive sight, paralytics walk, captives liberated, demonic oppression taken away. The poor had the gospel priest. The apostles are trained and equipped. Undoubtedly, everything Jesus did in his ministry is desperately needed today, including healing, deliverance, preaching the gospel to the poor, taking the gospel to the nations. However, social justice, missions were not God's ultimate intention. These are the only means to the end of God's ultimate purpose for creating the world. If the gospels are our starting point, then we must we may make the mistake that social justice and missions are God's ultimate purpose. And what about the prophets? If the prophets are God's ultimate uh, starting point, then we may make the mistake that the restoration of Israel is God's ultimate purpose. Or what about Moses? 
What about God miraculously delivering the Hebrews from Egyptian captivity, buried their armies on the floor of the Red Sea? It's fascinating. See how God came down from Mount Horeb in blazing glory and gave Moses the law stuns us. These are shadows of Christ. The sacrifices are displaying God's meticulous attention to detail. Nevertheless, neither the law, the feast of Israel, nor the Torah were God's ultimate intention. Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant contains some of the greatest blessings in history. God promised to bless Abraham. God enjoys blessing his new covenant children. A blessed life is is not God's ultimate intention. Sadly, many leaders today are getting into movements that are focused on just receiving God's blessing and have drifted far from God's ultimate intention. So Abraham is not our starting point. Well, what about the fall? Perhaps the most common starting point in Christianity is the fall. Many denominational movements, ministry, look at Adam's sin as a starting point for finding God's ultimate intention through grace, forgiveness, and redemption. The finished work of the cross becomes God's ultimate aim in preaching, teaching, ministry, missions, church planning. It even seems heretical to suggest that God's ultimate original intention transcends salvation. Nevertheless, when God created the world, his intention was not for man to fall and then bring redemption. The Lord was seeking that even salvation was not God's ultimate intention. Is Adam our starting point? What about the seven mountains of culture? What about th- that include religion, family, education, government, media, arts, education, excuse me, and entertainment and business? Certainly advancing the kingdom of God, influencing the culture of salt and light, reigning in life, occupying until he comes is essential. Nevertheless, if Adam is our starting point, then we make the mistake of it. advancing the kingdom as God's ultimate purpose. So where should we get started at? And I believe this is what happened to Job in Job 38 that went all the way up to Job 42 where he had to get into a new starting point. That we must move in a backwards kind of way from humanity, the world, the angels, heaven, to the throne, to God the Father. Now let me say that again. We're moving backwards through humanity, to the world, through the angelic, through heaven, to the throne, back to the Father. Not having a proper starting point has caused entire denominations, movement, churches, ministries to focus upon things of lesser value than God's ultimate intention. Don't misunderstand End-time prophecy, impacting the culture, revival, miracles, social justice, great commission, the restoration of Israel, God's blessing, advancing the kingdom, salvation are all essential. But they pale in comparison to God's ultimate intention. In fact, without the fallen man, most of these focuses would be even unnecessary. If Adam had to eat from the tree of knowledge, there would be no need for salvation, revival, end-time prophecy, social justice, great commission, or the restoration of Israel. God's life would have been imparted into man, and man would have eventually been filled with the fullness of God's life. And this life would have been imparted into subsequent generations until all the earth was filled with men and women who possessed God's life. We have drifted so far from God's original intention that now every movement is solely focused on these aspects. We're not saying that, these shouldn't, that we shouldn't emphasize these truths but we need to push back beyond these starting points that have been discussed, and we must go back to the beginning when it was just. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwelling together in a 
approachable light and deep fellowship and intimacy. You know, in this, um, in my podcast, and I'm going to be working on this, and they're going to come out. But there is the phase triple O called the Trinity Option, and and I will develop that uh, series, and it will be developed for you to listen to. As this is really today, in in this Genesis zero, we're really angling our eyes back to God's ultimate intention in himself and, and the relationship of the Trinity. Fromke wrote, it's important for us to recognize God's before and his after. we got to go back in time, back into God's heart before he began creating anything, back before redemption was even necessary. we got to go back to the blueprint stage. What was God's intention before he began any of his activity on heaven and earth? We start reading in Genesis, in the beginning we see God's creative work. But the Apostle Paul takes us back before the foundation of the world. What was God's deep desire and intention in the great before? What was the white paper of his heart before he began creating this universe? Going back to the blueprint stage of his planning takes us back in the beginning of Genesis 1-1, eternity past, described by both Jesus and Paul before the foundation of the world. Here in eternity past, There was no humanity, no sin, no need for salvation, no world, no angels, no heaven, and no throne. It was God and God alone dwelling in light in the fellowship of the Trinity. Let's go back in the beginning, as John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning who was God. If we go back to eternity past, we'll find the eternal Son hidden inside the Father's heart. If we could go back to the beginning we would see was unapproachable light, a light so intense that nothing could penetrate it, a light so intense that the brightness of the sun would pale in comparison, a light so intense it would make the present heaven and earth flee away in utter terror. Now, I've got a podcast in the Triple E called The Pixel because our ministry right now has one pixel of this light. And I've I've seen in, in the... Other podcasts, Triple E Light, what one pixel of God's light can do when he shines through uh, the darkness. If, if we could just go back to that unapproachable light, the eternal Father, the eternal Son, the eternal Spirit, and dwell in, who dwell in unbroken union, joyful fellowship, and deep intimacy for billions and billions, and it's unquantifiable years because it was infinite. His ecstatic pleasure... There's, there's one particular man that I know of that really got into this, and it was Jonathan Edwards. He started having this relationship through his pastorate, and he spent all day literally just studying the knowledge of God and had mystical experiences, that, and was a brilliant, probably one of the greatest, most brilliant theologians that have ever touched American soil, that he started to actually gaze into this with the Lord. I've got another podcast. Go listen to it. It's called The Tesseract. And um, I think that it deals in this area. The ecstatic pleasure and delight that the father had for his son during the pre-creation period filled the father's heart with unbroken satisfaction. Jesus referenced his love when he prayed to his father uh, before his crucifixion, you love me before the foundation of the world. And we can't fathom the depths of the father's boundless, passionate, and affectionate and ardent love. Uh, for the beloved, eternal, uncreated Son. 
Uh, there's another podcast you can listen to. It's called, I believe it's called Trinitarian Fire in the Mind. You can go listen to that as I deal with this, uh, the father's love for his son at the beginning. Hidden inside the father's heart throughout eternity past, the son was the object of his father's affection and the love as the two were bound together in perfect union by the Holy Spirit. This is a euphoric love that God has for God and is beyond words. It's intimacy, deep conversation, unending communion between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We don't even have language for it. In our ignorance, we, we might look at this and think, that's boring. For billions of years, the Father and the Son just looked at each other, talked to each other, and loved each other. They had nothing to entertain them, no sports, no movies, no video games, no social media. How boring is that? But we can't really understand that they were never lonely. They were never bored. They were never needy. They had billions of years of unbroken joy, pleasure, and delight. Some place within eternity past, the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, had a formal council meeting. That, that meeting was where they said, let's create a throne, heaven, elders, angels, universe, world, humanity, and ages to span eternity. And in our, their eternal council, they determined their purpose for creation, the reason why they would create the world, the intention of their prized creation, humanity. Paul alludes to it in Ephesians 1.11 where he said, God works all things after the counsel of his will. This, consider this council meeting. It's, it's derived from a, a root meaning a will, hence a counsel or a piece of advice that is the result of determination. When used outside the New Testament, it conveys the result of a process of deliberation in which something was determined. In Jeremiah 23, 18-22, But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from their evil deeds. I've got another podcast called Stars to Men where I deal with the divine counsel. This is this counsel of which is being spoke of here. I believe that this is this council room meeting that um, Job was brought into that we're referencing in Job's thir- in Job 38. When Paul is saying he works all things after the counsel of his will, Paul's taking us back before the foundation of the world into eternity past, just so that we have a proper context for Ephesians 1.11. That he chose us in him, Ephesians 1.4, listen now, before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.5, that he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.11, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. And Ephesians 3.11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And do you see what I was going over in John 13? That it says that we were predestined as adoption and sons in Christ, Ephesians 1.5. We were also predestined according to his purpose, Ephesians 1.11. Where? In Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the world. When Paul describes this counsel of his will, we're seeing that the eternal counsel of the Godhead was to establish his eternal purpose. Notice that God is working all things based off decisions and plans established in this counsel. 
That's an important statement. That means that everything that God has done and revealed in Scripture was established in his eternal counsel before the foundation of the world. God's original intention or ultimate intention. God's eternal purpose established in his eternal counsel you can meditate on it in Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17 where he prayed that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you have loved me from the foundation of the world and so when we meditate on John 17 you begin to see God's original intention unfold namely you discover that God's purpose that we would be with the Son in the heart of the Father, that we would have the Son in us, that we would be in union with the Father, the Son, and with one another, that we would know that the Father loves us like He loves the Son, and that we would love the Son like the Father has since eternity past. Jesus' high priestly prayer details God's eternal purpose to bring humanity into the unceasing fellowship, love, and intimacy that the Father and the Son have enjoyed for all eternity. That we would be brought to such a place, get this, that we would be glorified and we would be made holy. That it was determined that the eternal Son would forever be the way, the truth, and the life. Whether or not mankind fail the eternal son would always be the only way to the father the only truth the eternal counsel of the godhead by which god works all things to which god works works is this this the son would be the center of all things and everything would be summed up in him the son would be the way the truth and the life and would bring humanity into eternal fellowship the son would become the pattern to which men and women would be conformed to the exact representation of him I believe that that is what these phases of the galactic progeny are about. The restoration of all things, a pattern of the sun for the restoration of humanity to see our king come to this earth. That the father would have a family because he wanted an expanded family of sons and that is gender neutral. That would exactly represent the communion and fellowship that he has with his own beloved, begotten son. So God's eternal counsel was determined before the fall, and Adam's choice did not deter God's original intention. That God has intended, out of his eternal purpose, to create and to bring forth the life of his son and to restore us to bring our will back into his will, to bring us into a fullness of life and into his inheritance. When you see that eternal purpose today, and I hope it's been established for you, we've got to go to Genesis 0. And I, I really want you to hear this from me you know, in closing that because some of you haven't been born again yet. And some of you have been born again and you're in this walk with the Lord right now, and you're really trying to get a framework. And I, this is my desperate plea and hope. Um, because I, I believe that this pattern of the galactic progeny, the Father has sent it outside of time 
through this minister to be a blessing for you to give you a context, a biblical context and framework for your restoration. And that it is my hope that you will begin to see God's ultimate, like Fromke brought out so beautifully and elegantly, God's ultimate, the Father's ultimate intention uh, for us. That when you're going through suffering and trials and when you're facing hardships and you you haven't been running from the Lord, you've been running to Him. Uh, that you've been being tested in, in your direction of your life, your protection, your provision, and your health and, and your wealth, and you're trying to get an understanding of what's going on. I, I hope that this ministry will be such a wonderful uh, blessing to you um, as we take the pattern of the sun through these 12 phases and you're able to connect into them and grow uh, in him in the basis of human dependency and longing for him and that you'll be filled with his love. Uh, my daughter Lydia told me the other day, and I mean, I was in tears and uh, myself and she said you know dad love never fails she's like you taught us that that love will never fail that when everything else seems like it'll fail you know um, friendships may fail relationships may fail your your finances may fail your health may fail but love never fails I challenge you to take those words that were spoken by by the apostle Paul that when everything else is breaking down all around us, that love will guide us where we need to go. That Jesus right now would take you by the hand and say, like I've listened to Corey Asbury in his song lately, uh, Egypt. And he'll take you by the hand like spoke of and that Henry Todd put before me in Isaiah 42. That he'll take you by the hand. And if you could just visualize the Father by the Son through the Holy Spirit reaching down into the from the eternity of now reaching down and, and reach up your hand to him and grab hold of God who loves you. That we have a beautiful father who has brought forth his son so that we could come into full relationship with him and that we have this Holy Spirit living in us. And if you don't know him, just ask him. I've, I've watched people convert by just saying, you know, I believe this. This is... I, I can't get an answer to my problems and my meaning, my own existence. And I'm going to throw myself right now into to your hands, Lord. And I ask you, forgive me. Just let, I'm, I forgive me in the sense of, I want to make you Lord of my life because I can't do this thing anymore. I can't do my own existence. I can't try to figure out my meaning every day. My identity is broken and I need someone to shape my existence and my sense of identity. I need hope. And I need a God who can love me. I would invite you to just say yes right now. And I invite all of you believers everywhere that are listening as this goes out all through the nations. I invite you to put your hand up and say once again, I sign up. I sign up to say yes. I check yes on love. I check yes on a relationship. And I check yes on realizing there are aspects inside of me that I need breakthrough in and they don't agree with who you are. That, Jesus, you are quintessentially God-man. And that everything that we could ever hope and long for and every, the way that we would ever want to be identified would be found in our identity in you. In your name, amen.
And our eyes have been on 